0: What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 144, on this wonderful Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman in Moore, John Hoover in Tulsa at the Sports Animal Studio. Do you want to talk about what happened to you, Hoo? It was close. It was a close call. Uh... (laughs)
1: Standing in line at Subway after my show today, I'm like, boy, I got to get a quick sandwich and then I'll get home and we'll do the podcast. And uh, standing in line on this bag, you guys see my bag here, how heavy it is, how thick and pregnant this thing is three weeks into the season. It's about 45 pounds. I'm like, I don't need this thing standing on my shoulder while I'm standing in this line. So I set it right next to the register uh, at the booth that's right next to the register. And I'll just turn around and get it when I check out. I checked out. She's like, you want a receipt? Nope. I'm good. Thanks for the sandwich. Bye. Turned around and walked out, drove all the way home, got in my backseat to get my bag and looked at and there's no bag. I'm like,
0: come on. Yeah. Where did my
1: bag go? And it dawned on me. I left it at Subway. So yes, I did eat fresh and uh, expletive, expletive, expletive for about 15 <sighs> minutes on the way back to the studios. Good Lord. How do you do that? That's my life in that bag. You guys know how important that bag is, and I just walked out and left it in a store.
2: Subways confirmed to have much lower security than any airport ever, because uh, we would have been bossless for uh, about three days until that got yep. itself out of that. Had
1: been an airport subway. Yep, um, I probably would have retired.
0: <laughs> I lost my bag. <laughs> I think the lesson is just to choose your sandwich shop wisely. I think Subway might have been the next step in that uh, sequence. That sets you on a whole bad path once you made that decision. Um, yeah, Subway, Tune glad Tune you got your stuff. Glad you got your stuff. And who's doing the show from uh, from the studio over there? To because uh, we're in a in the time pinch as it is. We we squeeze these shows in on Wednesday as it is. So who making it work um, over there at yep. the. Sports Animal Studio. As this is uh, technically
1: my day off, so I'm busy, of course, doing sports radio and podcasting and uh, YouTubing yeah. the entire day. So some day off.
0: Yeah, exactly. That that's how the football season. It's, <laughs> it's not even. Yeah, I mean, what what even is? We all do stuff. My day off, I, I call high school football. Ryan's day off, he still has his show. Like we, that doesn't yeah. really even exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, but yeah, we we trudge on and we i'm not recovered yet you guys can speak on it i need like a couple more days still from the nebraska trip um it was fun up there but energy level is still lacking substantially for me um how are we feeling on that on that front is are we getting back to normal just in time to have a like a 4 a.m podcast on saturday basically right (laughs) when i think i'll be feeling a little better we have 4 a.m podcast on saturday
1: I might be recovered by now if it wasn't for two 16-hour days spent in Norman plus driving <laughs> back and forth. Yes, that uh, I might be recovered if not for that. But uh, there is no recovery to be had. Uh, October 22nd, I think, is the open date. We'll get a little
0: sleep then. Can't wait.
2: <laughs> uh, fall camp is that time of year. It's the last time anyone's 100%, you know, with all the knocks <laughs> and niggles. <laughs> and uh you know we we just look you have a long long day in lincoln worrying about pom-poms behind you and all that stuff in the press box then you sit down in the car and get cramped for five six hours on sunday so uh you know we're all looking forward to that bye week will be a good time for us to get healthy but i mean this is where you got to rely on that quality depth and that competitive stamina to get you through
1: quality depth intern ross we're talking to you looking (laughs) right at (laughs) you
0: Yeah, and, and the good news is there's not any big games between now and then, right? Not like the Texas game or anything like that before the bye. So uh, we'll trudge along, though. And uh, the big road trips are on the other side of the bye, so I can pretend that they don't exist until then, <laughs> even though they're looming. Um, but we'll worry about them when we get there. Uh, Ames and Morgantown and whatever else comes down the pike later into bowl season, and stuff like that. But before we get into this week's game, which is back home, thankfully, with Kansas State on Saturday night, let's put the like we typically do, put the finishing touches on last week's game, close the book on that one. Sooners hammer Nebraska again. If you want to, or you know, our full thoughts, you didn't see them on that game; they're still there on the YouTube page on Hoover Media or wherever you your podcast the post-game show, which we did from the press box there in Lincoln, laid it mapped out uh, our initial reaction to that game as the Sooners just mollywopped uh, the Huskers; it was never even close. Uh, after that first drive in Nebraska for that great start. But uh, finishing touches on that game as you guys have had t- time to peel back from it, let it wash over you some more, hear some more reaction, watch you back a little bit. Um, just kind of tying the loose ends on that one uh, before we move on here into Big 12 play.
1: Oh, where do you go with this one? Um, I think moving forward, Oklahoma wants to see uh, a little more precision out of Dylan Gabriel throwing the football. Yeah. Um I think the offensive line was very good against Nebraska. I thought the running game was exquisite against Nebraska, 300 yards rushing, and they did it forcefully. You know, they didn't have to trick anybody. The The quarterback draw was a little bit of a trick for 61. But, uh, you know, they, they knew when they called that, Jeff Levy knew when he called it it was going to be a first down. He didn't know it was going to go 60. Um, right. Defensively, you love to see the depth that has developed at the linebacker position where a true freshman can come in and play the game of his life in his first extensive action. Jared Kanick was out of his mind uh, playing the other day. Uh, I thought the secondary was solid except for the first drive. Actually, they were very good except for the first drive. And the defensive line just continues to wreak havoc. Uh, that offensive line for uh, Nebraska looked like they might have been an offensive line for uh, Nebraska Omaha or uh, Nebraska Kearney or something like that. That was an abysmally bad <laughs> offensive line, and Oklahoma made them pay. Oklahoma used to play around with guys like that, with teams like that, and uh, that's why so many teams hung around. They played to the level of their competition. Oklahoma put their foot down and uh, made it a, a just an absolute, um, just a, a, a complete whitewashing. They just pummeled those poor guys, and they didn't have any mercy on them, And nor nor should they. But uh, that's that's kind of maybe a little bit of difference of what we're seeing in this Oklahoma team and previous Oklahoma teams.
2: Yeah, I think my big thing that that I thought about all the way home. So this isn't a hey watched it back and saw this, but um, th- like that was a bad Nebraska team, right? And, and so it's the congrats you won a cookie type thing, right? For for pummeling a bad Nebraska team. But I sat there and on that entire ride home Sunday, I was just racking my brain trying to say. When's the last time that Oklahoma went on the road to a power five team, right? A team that should have some talent and just absolutely dominated all three phases of the game like that. And as I was sitting there ticking through it all, what I came up with was UCLA in 2019. And that's first off a long time ago. And then credit to, we had Keegan Renault on our show on Monday and we were kind of having that same conversation. He also circled UCLA 2019 But he took it a step further, and he's like, if you were there, you remember there were more OU fans in the Rose Bowl than there were UCLA fans on that day. That was 87,161 fans that were mostly Nebraska fans in a program game in an absolute raucous environment. We haven't seen Oklahoma put in a performance like that, even against a really bad Power 5 football team in a really long time. And I think for me... That's the most encouraging thing. Massive test ahead with K-State. We'll get into it. We'll talk about it here. But um, just the last time that happened for Oklahoma, it's been a couple of years, and it's never been in an environment like that. It's been years since Oklahoma had a road performance in an environment like that, even against a bad football team.
1: I'll say this uh, in addition to your point, Ryan. uh, Ohio State 2017 was all Ohio State and Oklahoma took the fight to those guys. Tennessee, the, the second half, fourth quarter at Tennessee in 2015 was also pretty impressive. Uh, in terms of going on the road and against a bad team with a good reputation and a good crowd and just a completely obliterating that team, I'll take you all the way back to 2008 when they went on the road and beat Washington like 50-whatever, I can't remember the score. Uh, they just, that Washington team was 0-12 that year, yeah. so that was a bad Washington team, but that's what you're supposed to do to a bad football team like Oklahoma did to Nebraska. So when's the last time they went on the road and did something like that to a bad football team uh, and played like a, a championship-level Oklahoma team? You're right. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, that that's something, too, that as we've peeled back from it and players in game and um, the players we've got to talk to this week. There was a sense of a smell in the blood in the water and carrying yeah. them that I mean, wasn't always there um, with with the previous regime and, it, and it specifically last year uh, certainly. And you know, Brent Venom was talked about a lot. We talked about it a little bit in the post game uh, show also, but that going into half with a big lead and then coming out in that third quarter immediately forced a turnover and then scoring again. I mean that that's the stuff that if it it felt like all the time that Oklahoma had chances to really kind of just put this thing completely no life left on their opponent and they didn't always do it before. So that was encouraging. We're three games into this thing, but that was encouraging if you're an Oklahoma fan to see that and to see what they did there. Um, You know, just completely, you know, giving Nebraska, no life and no chance, no chance that that crowd, was awesome and was really hyped up at the beginning, but then they just had never had had another chance to even get into it. Uh, they, I mean, they completely took the crowd out of it, which is so important to do, obviously, uh, on the road. And you're starting to now see, which is funny, you know, obviously, because we talked about all off season, you're starting to see the national narrative change of all these people that, you know, threw dirt on Oklahoma are starting to apologize and and say that actually, you know what, they may be better than they've ever been. Um, You've seen, uh, obviously, Stuart Mandel put out the thing, you know, saying I was wrong. Uh, Brandon Walker with Barstool said I was wrong. Like the biggest Oklahoma, you know, naysayers, Joe Klatt put out a a video on his podcast of saying like they may be better to equipped to win a national title than they ever were under Lincoln right now in Brent Mandel's first year. Like you're seeing that change, which is... Hilarious uh in front of our eyes because we said the same thing the whole offseason, which was it's not this is so overstated about how how much they're gonna fall in the crumble and everything. And now you're actually seeing that play out. Um uh, some validation, I think, for OU fans and um Joe C and the whole program that uh we told you we were gonna be fine, kind of a thing. Uh is yeah. we gotta be ringing for them right now. So they stay put at six and eight people. The top seven actually all didn't change. I'm not sure. I need some some statistics on last time the top seven all didn't change in uh, the same in one week. Uh, the Top ten largely stayed the same. Kentucky and Oklahoma State flipped eight nine. Then Arkansas stayed the ten, stayed the same at ten. So the top ten didn't really move a lot. But Sooners have to feel right now like they're I mean that top three Bama, Georgia, Ohio State is pretty solidified. But after that, who's to say Oklahoma isn't the fourth best team right now? At least through the first you know few weeks here.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Josh. I think they're making a case for that. Um, the, the the fourth spot, uh, Bama's not going anywhere. Ohio State doesn't play anybody on a on a week to week basis that's going to chase them out of the top four. Um, I don't think the the schedule is going to prohibit them from being in the playoff. Uh, they could stub stub their toe somewhere, uh, but Georgia is the class of the bunch again. Somehow they lost. 940,000 draft picks and still come right. back, and they're still the best team in the country. It's, un- it's unbelievable how good those guys are. So, yeah, who's next? Uh, Oklahoma's making a case. I think they put their foot down and said, uh, We want to be that other team uh, with, with the performance that they had against Nebraska. There were some hiccups in the opener, there were some hiccups in the Kent State game, uh, but the, the thoroughness and completeness with which they beat down Nebraska. I think really made a statement. Nebraska any good? No. Uh, like Brent Fenable said, um, we haven't done it. This team hasn't – team 128 hasn't done anything yet except uh, win their non-conference games. Mm-hmm. Go to 3-0. and Now we're ready to get into conference. That's how yeah. he phrased it. So, uh, big test this week. starts. The, the rest of it starts this week.
2: Yeah, for sure. Now that they've <laughs> – uh, I mean, both sides of the ball talked about it after that uh, Nebraska game. If you haven't seen it somehow, way, allsooners.com, all of the post-game videos, post-game stories, all the stuff from this week. But they opened up the playbook on both sides of the balls. Uh, ball. Additionally, Wanya Morris coming in along the offensive line looked like he made a big difference there as, as they really got rolling. So now this is kind of a, you go out, and if that offensive line plays well against a good Kansas State front, Dylan Gabriel takes care of the football but still moves the offense against a really good opportunistic K-State secondary. I think through the... That's a lot of ifs, right? A lot of, a lot of stuff has to happen, but you could go out of game four if all of that falls into place and say, okay, Oklahoma was adjusting to a new system and on top of that, sat on the playbook through two weeks. I think a lot of people who at least are playing close attention will say that's less important than the performance against Nebraska when they opened it up and then if they do all those things I just
0: talked about against K-State this weekend. So before we get, uh, obviously, into the Kansas State game this week, which we'll do uh, coming up in the next segment, let's go ahead and talk about the death of Bedlam a little bit and the petty wars uh, going on <laughs> here between the Sooners and the Pokes. So it's not really anything new, nothing that we didn't already really know. Um, but Brett McMurphy of the Action Network reported yesterday morning that he's got to confirm from both sides, both ADs, Joe C, and on the Oklahoma State side of things, that, that the Bedlam rivalry, as of now, is pretty much, there, there's no plans to revive it or to continue it once Oklahoma goes to the SEC. Now, this was always kind of planned and expected because this is, the, the sour grapes, all that conversation we had last summer. Um, you know, so nothing new, but it, to hear it more kind of concrete and to see it written and Josie C. say like, Oklahoma State is showing no willingness to make it work, so we're not going to make it work then, and then that's the end of that. I, Mike Gundy pulls out a list at his availability last night and basically just like reads off a statement for like two minutes of, of how much he has disdain that basically he has for, for how this has transpired and throws a lot of blame obviously at Oklahoma side of things for the rivalry not being continued. I guess my question to you guys is is just reaction to the fact that this game probably unless something changes is not gonna continue to be played once Oklahoma goes to the SEC. And you know, what the petty wars of this going back and forth of trying to assign blame on both sides, when reality is probably somewhere in the middle, which is both sides have played a part in this going away, and now you know here we are with a, a standoff, basically.
1: Yeah, both both sides are to blame um, for where this thing has gotten to, uh, and both sides keep talking the talk, um, pointing the finger at the other side. Both sides are to blame. Let's be realistic. Oklahoma went to the SEC. Uh, which made force Oklahoma State's hand to say do we want to add a, a, a non-conference regular opponent every year or do we want to stick with our conference games and our our scheduling model do we want to change what we're doing because Oklahoma went off to the SEC and add a, a, a what would essentially almost be like a tenth conference game a really tough game every year uh, I don't think it's at either one of their um, necessarily, like, if you're looking for somewhere to place the blame, it's not at either one of their feet. I blame the state of college football. I blame Bob Balsby and the Big 12 Conference uh, for uh, years of inaction, uh, 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 not t- taking care of your uh, – or maybe too much taking care of your, your flagship schools to the point where your conference becomes weak. Nebraska and Colorado and, and Texas A&M and Missouri leave, leave you stranded in a conference that's not strong anymore – To where you have to look, if you're Oklahoma, you have to look for other options, such as making double your income in the SEC, double your income. So uh, is it anybody's fault? Is anybody to blame everything and everybody's to blame? But I I just, listen, it's great content for sports radio. It's great content for podcasting. And we enjoy it. Every time Mike Gundy pulls out a list and starts reading off things that he wants (laughs) to talk about, uh, we enjoy the hell out of it. It's fun. Uh, we talked about it for two segments on the radio on my radio show today. So, um, and frankly, the fact that Brett McMurphy got Chad Weiberg and Joe Castiglione to say, "Well, we want to play them, uh, but they don't want to play us. We've put the ball in their court, and they don't show any interest," is what Joe Castiglione apparently told Brett McMurphy. Whereas, uh, you know, um, Chad Weiberg says the opposite. He said. They, they, this is the consequence of their actions joining the SEC. And then Mike Gundy comes out and says, you know, it's, this is Oklahoma's uh, following Texas and following the money. I mean, he knows how to stab Oklahoma. He knows how to shank him in a yeah. dark alley. And that is tell, tell everybody that they're following Texas. Um, listen, that's a, that's a great one liner to say Oklahoma's following Texas and following money. I don't know that Joe Castiglione makes a habit out of following anybody. You know, he got with Texas and said, do you do you know what we could do here if we uh, leave for the SEC? We could double our revenue. Uh, both athletic directors, both presidents said this is a good move for us. It's not following Texas. Uh, but that is a good line by Mike Gundy. It's a comical, almost, you might say
2: uh childish too would that be the other one <laughs> uh, i mean look birds hargus and david Bourne are no longer in charge of their respective universities which means the old boys club of ou and osu being in lockstep is done those guys had a great relationship dating all the way back to their political career you know what i mean so uh this is the new way forward it, it is on college football and look uh, if anyone is mad at anyone, like both of these schools could look within themselves and not play the crappy FCS game that no one wants to watch every other yeah. year or not yeah. play the UTEP game. And I would wager a lot of money that neither school is going to do it. Right. Uh, you can blame the, the non-conference contracts and all that. Both of these schools, if they went to ESPN or Fox and said, we would like to revive the Bedlam series. Will you uh, give a give us an amount of money that means we both make money while all, even with, after paying the buyouts for those games right. you already have on the schedule, uh, the networks would do it in a heartbeat. So that's on both of these schools. And again, uh, like you kind of said, who OU's looking after their budget, right? Going to the SEC, that's not their problem. What happens to OSU? On the flip side, OSU got knifed in the back in silence by the two, uh, you know, bell cows of the conference. They had gone along scheduling their non-conference schedule, assuming they're just going to be in the Big 12. That's not their problem that OU doesn't fit into that. It's just, it is what it is. This is kind of uh, the way of college athletics. And it's something that I'll be really interested in. A lot of people are bringing up the SEC East teams that have those in-state rivalries, right? The non-con in-state rivalries. That's on a setup with eight conference games. I wonder once the SEC moves to nine, which is... All directions are pointing to that. I wonder what's going to be the state of those rivalries. And and it'll be something that uh, will be really interesting to watch as well. So Bedlam will come back for like a two-game series in 20 years. And uh, it will all feel similar to the way that I think everyone felt watching the Backyard Brawl uh, this year, which like, oh, yeah, that was fun. Um, I would just put forth that 15 years of OU in Arkansas, like down the road, it's never going to be like the Bedlam of we're going in and everyone has their coworkers that are OSU and OU fans, but uh, it'll be just as fun. And OU's trading Bedlam for way better atmospheres in games, top to bottom, uh, across. Even the crappy games are better in the SEC. I'd rather go to Nashville and watch a crappy game than uh, Lawrence or or Lubbock and watch a crappy game. So, uh, look, it's the trade-off, and we talked about it, and you guys know me all the way back then. I would have much rather see this OU-Nebraska rivalry be played over and over and over again than Bedlam as a non-conference rival. And I think you saw why, that having 90,000 fans is a lot
0: more fun than trying to fill 60. For sure. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma put the rivalry at risk, obviously. They knew what they were doing when they made the move. Um, it, it's a move you have to make. It's an obvious move. Uh, I mean, just look at next year's home slate what it's expected to be and look at what home slates will likely look like when they get to see. I mean, the the biggest home game they have next year is like a seven win Iowa state team. It's literally like the best home game they have next year before that, you know, before it would have been Georgia coming in would have been their best home game, which will just be a conference game here coming up very, very soon. So it's an obvious move for Oklahoma to, to go to the sec and to maintain that rivalry with Texas. Cause that is their biggest rivalry game. It just is. And then for Oklahoma state, but at the end of the day, Oklahoma State could have continued it if they wanted to play ball, and they don't want to play ball, and that, that so it, Oklahoma put it at risk. OSU could save it; they're choosing not to. So it's uh, you know both both sides play a part, like we were saying. But uh, you know we'll see how that shakes out if they do end up playing again at some point. Maybe they'll just meet up in a twelve team playoff. Uh, how about that? That that would be fun. A nice eleven <laughs> six or something.
2: Well, we were talking about this the other day. It's going to be really awful when like. Um not gonna do the math off the top of my head but like OU is the second team in the SEC and they're hosting a first round game right OSU wins the big 12 conference and they have a bye and everyone's watching with entry if OU wins their game look who they're matched up with Oklahoma State oh my god OU won the game we're gonna get Bedlam and now we're gonna take this thing to freaking Yankee Stadium in the pinstripe bowl because so we have to instead of playing that in Norman or Stillwater we have to appease the bowl system so that's that's what I'm just juiced for is our first bedroom in like five years is gonna happen at like the Alamo Dome.
0: <laughs> I think they'll put it in a New Year's six, right? I mean it'd be one of the big boy bowls, in theory, at least. I don't know. This whole system is it, it some kinks need to be worked out, yeah. uh to say the least uh, before we get there. But yeah, so better. F- it's you a know bummer. Me, for me. Fiesta or bust. If it's not in the fiesta, I'm not going. <laughs> 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 It'll be cotton. Be caught that way. It can be right down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer for me. I like Bedlam, um, and you know the the whole like OU fans love to do this do this thing where they say it's not a rivalry or whatever because the the margin. It's nonsense. It's a rivalry has a name. The fan bases hate each other. It's it's awesome. It's a great game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, one team wins it of the vast majority of the time, but on that Saturday when the ball kicks. It, it feels like a 50-50 game. Even though it doesn't yeah. b- bear out that way over the course of history, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how it feels. So, uh, they have a belt. They
1: yeah. have a belt. I mean,
0: it's got a trophy. It's, it's got a trophy and a name. So, <laughs> it's got a that's trophy. Not for me. But yeah, so it, it's a shame. Hopefully they are able to continue it at some point because um, it's a fun game. It is. And I like when they play in all sports. So hopefully they can maintain it. You know, Baseball, softball, bat they're, they're all fun. So uh, hopefully they can find a way to make it work, but We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, the death of rivalries is uh, definitely the, the, the part of realignment that stinks the most, for obvious reasons. So hopefully we can get that back going at some point. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll talk about the K-State game. What we're expecting this weekend, keys to the game, what Venables players have said this week about the Cats, for Venables alma mater, obviously. We'll talk about all that good stuff next, right here on the All Sooners Podcast.
1: Hey, if you're still looking for tickets to this week's game against Kansas State, try Ticket IQ for zero checkout fees plus $10 off. Use promo code ALLSOONERS at checkout to claim this promo and see the game for less. You must use the Ticket IQ app as well, which you can find in the App Store. In general, tickets start at $121 for Saturday's game. The Ticket IQ Seat of the Week can be found in Section 10, Row 53 on the sideline at Memorial Stadium where you can find tickets going for as low as $136. So with the $10 off, you can find sideline seats for as low as the get-in price. Shop tickets now and start saving with Ticket IQ.
0: On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, this weekend, Big 12 opener. Feels good to get into conference play after what was a eh, non-conference slate. A couple of cupcakes at home and then just, just demolishing Nebraska in, in Lincoln. It was a fun game, but now he's that competitive. We should get some more competitive games coming up pretty soon, maybe right away this weekend with Kansas State coming in. This game is weird because when the schedule, you know, at the beginning of the year, we're talking about, you could make the argument, and I would totally buy that this was maybe Oklahoma's toughest game with where it was placed in the schedule, what we thought K-State would be, all of it. This is their first really real test at all. We know how bad Nebraska is and a couple of, you know, group of five teams. I think Kansas State goes and loses at home to Tulane and scores ten points. And now I have no idea what to make of them coming into mm-hmm. this weekend with Adrian Martinez. So I guess just right off the bat, initial thoughts on what the Wildcats are because again they were looked at as the sleeper in the in the Big Twelve, you know, a, possibly a top twenty, top fifteen team by the time this season is said and done. And I mean, they got beat by the Green Wave at home. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened uh, in, in on Saturday, but. That's not what you draw up if you're Chris Kleiman.
1: So, uh, you know, you give Chris Kleiman a, a lot of credit for out coaching Lincoln Riley. Um, really, oh, yeah. the last uh, three years, uh, last year's game was really close as well, even though it was an Oklahoma win. He's a heck of a coach. Uh, does he and his staff do the same thing that to, to Brent Venables and his staff that they did to the previous regime at Oklahoma? That's... Uh, to be decided, um, Adrian Martinez. You saw him last year with Nebraska, nearly take down Oklahoma in Norman. As uh, I mean, he was a, he had a heck of a game. He wasn't like throwing; he didn't look like Dan Marino or anything. But uh, he was controlling the clock. He was controlling the tempo of the game. He was making big plays. Uh, he threw an interception that he I'm, sh- I'm sure he wants back. But uh, just in general, that's where they are personnel wise. And then you sprinkle Deuce Vaughn in the mix. Guys, he's seventh in the country in rushing right now, 117 yards a game. Last week, remember, they played Anthony Grant, who was at the time, I think, fourth in the country at 143 yards rushing per game. So Oklahoma's defense did a great job on Anthony Grant last week, shutting him down 36 yards on 12 carries, right? Fantastic. 12-yard run to start the game, nothing after that. Deuce Vaughn's a totally different running back, and where Deuce has gotten his numbers against Oklahoma in the past few years is not in the running game, it's in the throwing game. He's uh, excellent on checkdowns, he's excellent on screens, and he can even get down the field uh, to catch passes, as uh, some Oklahoma linebackers who shall remain nameless found out uh, (laughs) the year before last. So um, 51 yards rushing last year, uh, 41 yards rushing two years ago for Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, yet he's over 100 yards receiving in both games, forcing Alex Grinch at some point, last year to say, believe it or not, we do have a plan for the back out of the backfield. Uh, He he didn't know what it was, or he couldn't convey it to the players, or they didn't know what it was. Right. But you mix all those things together, and then you throw in the Kansas State defensive line. By far the most talented um, NFL prospect-laden defensive line that Oklahoma will have seen to this point in the season. The OU offensive line needs to be at its absolute best to keep those guys off of Dylan Gabriel and and keep those guys from uh, clogging the holes in the run game because we saw some real progress by the offensive line last year. I'm sorry, last week. Now we need to see more progress out of this offensive line going up against a really good bunch at K State.
2: Yeah, I mean the the matchup to watch will just be any time uh, Felix and Duke is Uzmoa. Uzma Uzma. One day I. I can't figure out his last name. Dead. I'm I'm sorry, King Felix. I just call him King Felix because he's that good, and I'm t- I just I, I feel bad that my mind can't handle his last name. But wh- wherever he's lined up, that's going to be the matchup to watch over and over and over again on Saturday because he's going to be a problem, an absolute problem for this Oklahoma offensive line. So uh, it's a big test for them. I think it's also a big test for Jeff Lebby. Right? We saw it a little bit against Nebraska where once that starting line came in, right? The third drive, when Morris came in initially those first two drives. It was a lot of, um, runs to the perimeter. They even utilized Marvin Mims and Drake stoops a little bit, then hitting Nebraska downfield. Then once they loosened up the Nebraska defense, that's when in the second quarter, they came back and just started to hit Nebraska over the head over and over and over with that run game and started to gash them. So, uh, that's totally okay if that's what Oklahoma has to do against Kansas State. That's a that's an okay avenue to kind of throw to open up the run game. But you got to be able to be successful in that second, third, fourth quarter running that. And then also, this is a big test for Dylan Gabriel. This K State uh, defensive backs. They, the secondary comes in with I think seven interceptions this year, if I uh, remember correct. So they're opportunistic. Gabriel has had the one ball against UTEP that was intercepted, and then called back for the either the holding of the pass interference on Farouk. Don't remember which one it officially was, but that was called back. That's the only ball that's been even close to being in the danger zone, intercepted this year. Gabriel's got yeah. to show that he can continue to make plays down the field while also taking care of the football against K-State. If he does that, the offense will be fine. Then on the flip side, the big question for K-State was – Okay, Skylar Thompson was awesome when he was healthy, right? He's a guy that, speaking of Dan Marino, made that initial Miami Dolphins roster. That's how much talent he had. He just ended up hurt half the year every time it felt like, and that's when uh, the, the Wildcats' Kareem trying to ro- roll with Will Howard. Adrian Martinez, through t- three games, has not been anywhere close to as good as what Skylar Thompson was. Just being healthy and having your starting quarterback – has not made a difference. He looks gun-shy throwing the ball down the field. So I don't know if that's residual from his Nebraska days of being a turnover machine or if that's kind of got coached into him during spring and summer at K-State and now they're begging him to air it out. That'll be uh, the key. If, 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 if Oklahoma can contain Deuce Vaughn, then Adrian Martinez is going to have to sit in there and beat Oklahoma and he can't do it. He's not good. Uh, If he has to sit in there and be one-dimensional, that's what the defense has to do. That's the big task.
0: You also know how many passing yards Adrian Martinez has this season? Have you looked that up? It's like under 350, right? It's like off. 304 yards in three games. That's mm. it. That's it. And one touchdown. Pretty crazy. Their lead receiver, Malik Knowles, 92 yards total. So, yeah. I mean, the passing game has not been there so far, uh, obviously, for k It's a lot of Deuce Vaughn. <laughs> he, he's... He's been going, he's doing his thing, 352 yards. He has more yards rushing than Adrian Martinez has passing uh, the, through the first few games. So we'll see uh, if you can slow down Deuce Vaughn. I mean, that's easier said than done. It, it kind of, you you wonder, how are the Wildcats going to move the ball? How are they going to score? Um, and they only put up 10 on play. Now, the week before, they hammered Missouri. Now, I don't think Missouri's any good, but they crushed them. I mean, they beat them by almost 30 points. So we'll see, uh, I don't know, I guess which K-State team shows up on, on Saturday. But yeah, I was startled by that because I mean, not that I think Adrian Martinez is a Heisman candidate or something like that, but 300 yards in three games, my God! I mean, geez, that that's that's a a good game by itself. He's played three, so obviously you gotta you gotta get it going more than that if you're gonna win games in the Big 12 this season. What about the angle of for this for Brent uh, for Venables? Obviously, you know, he kind of you know, as you would expect him to, downplayed it his press conference yesterday, but. This is his first game against his alma mater as a head coach. Um, he talked about texting with Bill Snyder this last week, with some great stories there. Um, you know, this has got to have a little, little something for him. And you know, it's funny because he was asked yesterday, and Hoover and I talked about it in the press conference wrap. He was asked yesterday about coming off that emotional win and refocusing for K State, and he was like, "Emotional win? Like it was just a win." I guess Nebraska. He has kind of a. It seems like he's taking this approach of like opponent. Doesn't mean anything. It's just we're playing the whatever jerseys over there, and we go from there. So he's tried to remove feelings out of it, but there's gotta be a part of him that's, you know, I I wants to put a good effort out there against obviously the place that he played, got his start, all that stuff. You know, this game's gotta hold a special place for him. You you would have to imagine. Did that get a little
1: awkward at some point? Yesterday, when I was asking him about K State, and he was um, saying that this game, he he loves K State. He was there. He was at Oklahoma. He was at Clemson, and he was back. Now he's back at Oklahoma. Um, the, this game has no more or less meaning than any any other game. I'm like, really? I thought right. I, was, I was a little surprised by that.
2: Shout out East Central, by the way. <laughs>
1: Shout out East Central.
2: getting named (laughs) but i mean so if we hadn't had last week maybe it'd be a little bit different right but last week brent venables is just asked to recall a couple OU nebraska memories that'd be cool for us was the question um and he got (laughs) choked up twice right once thinking about 2000 and he started talking about essentially alluding to the fact that he didn't have a great work-life balance because he was trying to rush, 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 rush to put on the film for K-State, which is funny enough that the Nebraska and K-State comes back-to-back this year. Um, but And then he, again, obviously the game that's always going to be very emotional for him is the 2005 game where he had lost his mother during game week. That I mean, you'd have to be a, a robot to not kind of have some right. emotional tie to that. But He's a guy that's been vulnerable, right, in front of the team, in the locker room. He's been a little bit vulnerable in front of us, right, in the press conference setting. But then to uh, immediately turn around in the very next week and just be like, I mean, not really. Like, I've coached against him a, a lot. I've spent a lot of time in a lot of places. It, I, this is not me. This is not anything of that. It's just me, dumb Ryan, just trying to think, speculate. It, it's almost like he's like, yeah, I spent a decade in Norman, which is more time than I spent in Manhattan, really. Really? Uh, when it comes down to it, as a guy that was a a transfer into K-State, and he's like, he spent a decade in Clemson. And all the times we've seen him get really emotional has been thinking about that first stint in Norman, right? And and we all know the story of how tough it was for him to leave Oklahoma and and all that stuff the first time. I think it just kind of shows that a lot of his emotional moments have been directly tied back to his experience at Oklahoma and that Oklahoma is kind of the central thing in that which uh, makes it so easy for him to then translate and spin forward this attitude of, we focus on us, if we get better every week, there's uh, only a handful of teams in in this country that can win against you. So, again, that's just armchair, Ryan just speculating, stuff like that. It it just seems interesting that uh, through two weeks, it's just such a stark difference of of kind of emotion in in two games that should or could or theoretically mean a lot to Brent Venables.
1: He did say, though, Ryan, that leaving Kansas State was harder—the hardest of them all. Yeah. Uh, because he came up from K-State, his mom was telling him now, Kansas State showed you loyalty. You know, uh, gave you the scholarship, gave you the job, kept you on staff, all that stuff. And he's learning under Bill Snyder, the Wizard of Manhattan. Uh, so it, he said it was tougher to leave that than it was to leave Bob Stoops in Oklahoma. I think he said he knew he had to get out of the nest and spread yeah. his wings and, and grow as a coach. And doing that at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops and Mike Stoops and all those guys allowed him to do that. And then when the Clemson opportunity came along, he took it not knowing what was going to happen next. You know, totally blind faith in his career and his trajectory and himself. Dabo hired him because he'd given up 70 in the bowl game the, the year before, and then he needed somebody to stop the bleeding defensively. It was a perfect marriage. And now he's back here at Oklahoma as the head coach. And it is, again, seemingly the perfect marriage. It's, uh, it's amazing. This is a guy who's only had four stops in his coaching career. Four. I mean, Ted Roof had four stops last month in his coaching <laughs> career. Did he not? I mean, four guys, years. <laughs> every two years he's changing jobs, Ted Roof has. And it's been a crazy career. But uh, you got to admire Brent Venables for his, uh, his loyalty um, and his determination to create something and make something lasting. He's not just, he's a ball coach, he's a football coach, but he's, you know, there there are mercenary football coaches running around the country right now who have no idea what it's like to do what Brent Pebbles is doing, which is um, not, was it eight years, nine years at Kansas State, uh, uh, 10 years at Oklahoma, uh, or 13 years at Oklahoma, 10 years at Clemson, and now he's a head coach. Um, What's that like? For a college football coach, very few people can understand that. I think
0: one thing that will make it easier uh, for Brent going in this game, by his own admission, is that he's not actually having to coach against Bill Snyder. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, both, just emotionally and mentally, would have been hard. But he also, you know, made the joke of like going against him whenever he was the DC. Obviously, in Oklahoma, it was always hard because you have to have three game plans and then none of them work. You have to figure it out. <laughs> you Know on the fly in the game, which is which is pretty cool to see. And it was, you know, the story of them still talking and texting. First off, the idea that Bill Snyder texted <laughs> is, yes, what on what kind of phone does he have? Surely he's not actually doing it, he has like a somebody doing it for him because that's hilarious. But him texting with Bill Snyder, Bill Snyder congratulates him on win number three and says, Go get win number four. And he comes back an hour later, not this week, not this <laughs> week. A, he didn't know the schedule, then he saw the schedule, was like, Oh, wait. Retract, which Brent said, "Hey, loyalty to your school, I'm cool with that." You know, so it that that would be that would really put the chair on top. I think the fact that he doesn't know anybody there, I'm assuming hardly at least. I mean, he's so far removed from being there. Phil Snyder's not there. That might help him detach a little. But I still think that it's worth watching him this weekend, especially like in pregame stuff when he's looking across. And maybe if it was in Manhattan, it would be a little different. I don't know, but uh, you know, K State's got it. I mean, like like we say, he's only been. Three places. I think mean, mm-hmm. he's one of them. So, um, you know, it's got to be some kind of significance for him. And that would be interesting to hear in game if, uh, if yeah. you know a little more about it after the game's actually been played.
1: After I primed him with the Kansas State question, you know, your alma mater, where you got your start, uh, it was great follow-up question by Garen Emig and a great follow-up question by Mason Young to ask him about Bill Snyder, the man. Kansas State might hold, you know, some <laughs> sentimental meaning to him because that's where he graduated. He wore the colors, wore the helmet, all that but yeah. it's Bill Snyder, the man, that really touches his heart. And it was a great job by those guys following up with those questions. Boy, uh, this is one of those moments where I wish we were back in the old days where I could ask a question and then ask six follow-ups because that would have been uh, obviously one of them about Bill Snyder.
0: Yeah, he wore the colors and the helmet and a lot more. Because if you guys remember from that clip of him playing at K-State, he was, he was he a Terminator out there. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was padded up. Big time. Brian, do you have something?
2: I was just going to say, anytime we get Bill Snyder and Mark Mangino talk and uh, all that in
0: one <laughs> press conference, it's, it's a successful day at the office for us. So, Absolutely. So it's going to be fun to see uh, Brent get that crack. And if Oklahoma and Clemson ever play Brent versus Dabo, that would be tremendous as well. Hopefully that happens at some point. Maybe this year in the playoff. Who knows? Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Or bowl season in general. We'll see how that uh, shakes out down the road. Now, back to the actual game on the field. If you guys can narrow it down, is it is it just as simple as do stop Deuce Vaughn and win the game? Is there more to it than that? What's the key to this? Is it just that simple or is that way too basic and there's a little more to it than that for Oklahoma to yeah. get out I of this game with a win?
1: I think it's too promed. You have to protect Dylan Gabriel and let him distribute the football and stop Deuce Vaughn. Or at least, as Brent Bumble said, get in front of him. If you can get in front of him and keep him from going 40 or 50 or 60 on any given play – uh, I think Oklahoma controls this game.
2: I think that, uh, not to get into our coach speak bag, but uh, there was a lot of talk about complimentary football, and Brent Venables was quick to talk about special teams. When you look across Kansas State, they've had a couple of big special teams plays as well. So uh, I think that what Hooves said is, is right, but I think there's three phases, right? you got to win two of the three phases, and you'll win the game. Now, Oklahoma fans do want like if you win all three phases and you dominate and all that stuff, that's great. But as far as just passing the test, getting a win, it's you've either got to win the special teams field position battle when you've got two pretty talented punt returners going at each other with Mims and peoples, then one or the other. You've either got to shut down Deuce Vaughn or protect Dylan Gabriel. Because if if you're uh, struggling with two of those three, it's gonna be a dog fight and you're gonna look it up in the fourth quarter and we're gonna uh Be uh, stress riding in the the final two or three minutes of the game, trying to keep up with the action on the field.
1: Kansas State wants to play you to a draw, I think, defensively and offensively, because they know they're going to have an advantage inherently on special teams. Phillip Brooks and guys like that, Malik Knowles, guys like that, are uh, that's just in the return game. They they're going to spring somebody loose on a punt block. Or something's going to happen on an extra point or something's going to – there's going to be a firework go off somewhere on k State special teams and you're going to say, "Uh uh-huh. And they're going to say, if if we could just pull even with these guys on offense and defense, then we'll have a real advantage in the game, being able to win the game at the end. And then it comes down to coaching. And I told you before, Chris Kleinman is a hell of a football coach.
0: Yeah, going to be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Um, after what Oklahoma did on Saturday against Nebraska, you start to look at the schedule and you're starting to wonder, maybe they can just continue to mount wins, especially because Baylor hasn't looked amazing. And not as good as we thought that BYU game was a especially considering what BYU turned around and did against Oregon. You can't really do the transitive property always in college football, but you're looking around the rest of this conference and you're, after what they did against Nebraska, you're saying if they can replicate that kind of, complimentary football—that buzz phrase where both sides are, are playing at a high level—we'll mm, see how it goes. And this is a big test, easily their biggest so far. And again, K-State that rough game is too lame, but we know what Chris Kleiman is. We saw what they did against Missouri And K-State for a long time. Even going back before Lincoln Riley um, has given Oklahoma problems. They just have, um, you know, I, you know. It's not like they never beat Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley took over. They got bombed yeah. a couple of times, so. Yeah, Josh, I threw that out there on the on the press conference wrap
1: yesterday. Um, five times Kansas State has beaten Oklahoma since 2003. Only Texas, with seven times since 2003, right. has more wins against Oklahoma than Kansas State does in that time. So that tells you right there, whether it's Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley, it uh, doesn't matter. The Kansas State Wildcats have some kind of secret sauce when it
0: comes to OU.
2: Eric Gray yesterday said it's a great rivalry for Oklahoma, so McMurphy needs to get on that one too and see why OU and K-State aren't playing.
0: <laughs> great rivalry. It is one of the truly elite uniform matchups. I will say that. Because it's better when it's in Manhattan, mm-hmm. um, but the one in Norman is pretty good too. Uh, K-State's got some slick slick look. Uh, Speaking of so uniforms. Yeah, we've, we're holding out. We're waiting. We're waiting. There's a lot of buzz on the Twitter streets. We'll leave yeah. it that. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Are you sure? What? Do you got something you want to say?
1: No, I don't. I don't have anything. Any confirmation? <laughs> but we, we sure uh, we sure got into it before the podcast began
0: uh, as to what
1: might or might not happen. You don't want to speculate. I mean, there's I, a lot of there's a lot of we're not you know, we're not reporting anything here. We're not the uniform watch commander or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> but there's some speculation out there. We can we can speculate with the best of them. We can see some throwbacks this weekend, maybe. We could, yeah. To the Bud Wilkinson yep. era, did you say?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's the uh, that's the rumor I've been chasing. Now, the hard hitting reporting that we're doing right now is I'm trying to figure out if Oklahoma's uniforms will look like we expect them to on Saturday. So could be could be some legit throwbacks. My only thing on that is uh, I want legitimate leather helmets or bust. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: uh, closing. So- White yeah. helmets. We're talking white helmets with the red stripe. Yeah, that would be if you was it. North World Texas,
2: two thousand Texas game
1: with no, Sam Bradford. No, it was it was a Jason White game, two thousand three. I think. Gotcha. Let's see if I got that right here. Yeah, oh, North Texas, right. two thousand three season opener. Yeah, uh, was the
0: uh, throwbacks. So that'd be cool. Could be Spend fun. 20 years. Could be fun. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, that's been floating. But uh, some, something something's brewing. And, and did I you guys say that, did I, you guys I, say that there's a
1: like a supply chain issue. Like there's a bunch of uh, college football uniforms floating in the Pacific ocean over uh, San Pedro uh, or something like that. What's going on there? So in
2: 2020, right. And this is where we're going to dip into my sources in the soccer world. uh, There were a (laughs) lot of teams. So soccer teams roll out three new uniforms every year, right? There were a lot of teams that could not get new uniforms because a lot of those warehouses are in China. And Like, for instance, some, a local team, the Oklahoma City Energy, had one plan for an alternate uniform, and then they got with Adidas and had to go a totally different direction because they were just like, here are the five different kinds of uniforms we have in the U.S. Here's the screen printing we could put on them, make something work with this. It was like a mix and match, create a thing. Well, not to get into geopolitics, but there's a second shutdown happening in China, or at least it had happened, which meant that once again... There are a ton of warehouses and stuff like that, and again, there are soccer teams all across the country, uh, the world that aren't able to get their second and third kits in, <sighs> which would tell me that if you're expecting a new kind of alternate, like not a throwback or not the Rough Riders or Bring the Wood or whatever they're called, I would be stunned just due to supply chain issues because there have been a lot of college football programs that can't roll out a new, never-before-seen throwback because... Stuff just sitting in warehouses, uh, half a world away. So. Who
0: would, who would have thought have that kind of effect on our, our, our college ball alternates. Gosh, darn it. We I know. need them. Need them. So yeah, we'll see what they look like. Uh, it might be a surprise. I don't know. They might tweet something out on Friday. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't happen at all, but it sounds like it is, but we'll, we'll see. Um, as the, uh, Sooners look to bust. And it, it, I said this yesterday or the day before. I can't remember just talking to Ryan and, and some some guys at the, the press conference. This feels like a week that they would wear something. This feels like the one they would bust out the Rough Riders. Like week four against K State. That feels super rough ridery. So it makes sense to go into some kind of alternate this weekend. We'll see what they uh, what they bust out. If anything. If anything. So we'll see uh, how that shakes out. All right. Take a time out. We'll come back. A little recruiting update. Uh, We'll talk about the rest of the conference this weekend. There's a lot of interesting games in the Big 12. Talk about what we're looking for, what we want to learn, and uh, we'll react to this is a big week for the Oklahoma quarterbacks, Uh, the big three there, Baker, Baker, Kyler, and Jalen Hurts. We'll talk about what those guys did uh, last weekend uh, as well, next on the All-Sinners podcast.
1: All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems sign up now for the all star service agreement 25 bucks a month. And the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991 or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com.
0: final segment of the all sooners podcast episode 144 get some last tidbits here we'll send you on your way into your week four weekend already week four we're moving right through as brent said we're a quarter of the way through we'll be a third of the way through after this weekend uh the season always it's a lot and we're just going the whole time but it it, it does go fast it's crazy we're already coming up on our fourth game here we're into big 12 play already that's kind of wild, so uh, we continue to hurdle through this season. Do have a little recruiting update, not one Oklahoma fans are real thrilled about, obviously. Jordan Renaud, who we talked about before on this show. A big fish that Oklahoma was chasing, to four-star defensive lineman from Tyler, Texas. He was down to Oklahoma and Alabama. Ryan, you can absolutely correct me. You're, you're, you keep up with it more than me. It seemed like this was, what, 50-50? I mean, it was up in the air. I don't think it was really like a solid one way or the other for a while, at least that I had heard. Uh, and he ends up coming to Alabama. So Sooners miss out on what would have been a big fish. Oklahoma still got some other ones floating out there that if they can land or flip, who we talked about before, they can really climb up those rankings. But this was a big chance to make up another you know, sizable get and move up those rankings that they missed out on here with, uh, with Renaud.
2: Yeah, this is one that uh, if you follow it, you know, coming out of visits and stuff like that, had the ebbs and the flows. This was a legit straight-up recruiting battle, right? This was not one of those that uh, – we're all trying to wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, this commitment's happening on Friday. Hey, you'll want to watch yeah. it. You know what I mean? Not, not one of those uh, by any means. But look, th- this is in years past, Oklahoma would have loved to just been in this battle, right? This year, Oklahoma was straight up in this battle, disappointed not to win it. And you can look back down and look at P.J. Adebore, uh, look at Derek LeBlanc, look at Colton Vasek, who are already in the class, look at targets like a David Hicks, who is still sitting out there, who Oklahoma still feels really good about. And it makes you feel a little bit differently, right? That This is not a class-defining make or break for this season because of the work that Oklahoma has done, or for this cycle, excuse me. It, it just would have been, if you're trying to, to stamp your name down and say we signed the best defensive line class in the country if that's what you were trying to do this would have been a guy that you you wanted to help to to kind of stand up pound your chest and and make that claim
1: yeah uh especially when you throw names like david stone and david hicks in there um these are guys that uh have a, a shoot everybody wants them everybody wants these guys uh including alabama including clemson including georgia um get two of the get one of those and you're set. you get two of those and you you' you're, you're, uh, you're taken off um, and you see uh, out the, the his rankings shoot through the, uh, the roof as, as people uh, educate themselves on who he is what he what he plays like and what people think of him. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden you're talking about Oklahoma what the be- the best or arguably the best or one of the best defensive line classes in this in the country. Um, we're seeing something special happen, I guess you could say with Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and those guys that are doing the recruiting uh, of landing those players. this this has an opportunity yeah and, and there's 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 guys that are still taking visits, there's guys that are still interested in other schools. but Oklahoma's in as a finalist on numerous uh, of these kids. So just think about the future and what uh, Oklahoma footballs going to look in 20, look like in 23. 24, 25, when they get into the SEC. They're going to fit nicely, I think, if they keep recruiting at this pace.
2: Yeah. They, yeah. It kind of ties into something Josh was saying earlier, too, right? You had a, a ton of people nationally talking about the narrative shift on Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. How, how long did we talk about, like, this time last year? Well... Before the season last year, because once the season started, it was just chaos and and batting onto the hatches and hang on for dear life. But it was like, how long is it going to take for Alex Grinch to work on this defense for them to kind of flip that narrative and go from Oklahoma can't play defense to like, this is a place you can go develop, succeed. Well, in three weeks of football, you've got guys like Joel Clout being like, yep, the Brent Venables defense is here. Oklahoma can play defense again. And in one right. off season where you didn't even have a whole year on tape, you have all these defensive linemen being like, yep, I can go play for Brett Vibbles and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis, and it doesn't matter that it's at Oklahoma. Actually, that's a good thing, because not only is it a premier school, I don't have to wait behind the 80 guys at Georgia and Alabama. Like, that shift happened overnight, and that, that may be the most impressive thing that's happened so far, frankly, from this entire staff.
0: It is amazing that, you know, whenever they brought in, obviously when Brent was hired, they brought in Todd Bates. And we, we looked at all those those numbers at Clemson, those tackles for loss numbers, those sack numbers, and how elite Clemson was in all those areas for the entire time Brent was there the last decade across the board. And like Ryan said, we're three weeks in. Oklahoma's right at the top. And they haven't played a merge row of opponents. They haven't. But they're right at the top of all those numbers. They have 10 points a game it's it, the impact is obvious already right away. It's obvious. And it's funny, like Ryan was saying, looking back when Alice Grinch got here and the defense was really, really bad when Grinch got here to, to his, you know, to be fair to him, but the, um, you know, it, it took him time and we gave him a leash. It, it was a long leash of like, well, we're they're not forcing any turnovers yet, but give him time, give him time, give him time. And, and each season pass, if fans were like, when's this going to happen? This regime we're three games in, it looks like a totally different team. So it is, pretty amazing what they're doing it puts it in perspective when we just saw yeah. them try to do a different group try to do this make big changes right away and it took we you know years just to make some progress a lot of progress already and you're seeing that uh you know pay out on the recruiting side of it around the big 12 this weekend it's a huge weekend for the conference again uh we talked about that a couple weeks ago another big weekend I mean, you look at this slate so big 12 play starts this weekend for some other teams didn't do not oklahoma state is off And TCU plays SMU, which is interesting because obviously Oklahoma goes to Fort Worth next week. And West Virginia plays Texas, or West Virginia plays Virginia Tech on Thursday. Now, we all think West Virginia probably just stinks. So I don't know how much you want to really pay attention to that one. We'll see. If they go into Blacksburg and pull off a win, maybe change that narrative a bit. But elsewhere in the conference, really interesting Big 12 games because Baylor plays at Iowa State and Texas plays at Texas Tech. Upset alert for both those teams, you have to say. Mm-hmm. So just curious for you guys, what are you looking forward to learning? Because um, I think we're going to find out a lot more about Texas, a lot more about Baylor, and even a lot more about TCU uh, this weekend.
1: My first reaction is uh, Baylor is an underdog at Iowa State. You're defending Big 12 champ in their first yeah. Big 12 road game. is all going on the road, and they're an underdog at Iowa State. So that's, uh, that's impressive. Um, if you're Iowa State, Iowa State's undefeated. Have they really played anybody besides Iowa who can't score? Um, Not
0: really. So, Um, there's – yeah. Yeah, they beat Southeast Missouri State and Ohio. Come on. (laughs) on. That's that's bad.
1: So, um, Texas at Texas Tech. Uh, The Hudson Cards limping around on one bad wheel. Uh, Quinn Ewers is still out. So, uh, what's going to happen down there? Listen, Donovan Smith – Uh, the quarterback is an absolute, he's, he's, he can be, he can play like a beast, but he can also give the football away at an alarming rate. So, um, I, I look for Texas to win that game. And frankly, I look for Iowa state, I'm sorry, for Baylor to settle down what they've got going on. Uh, you know, they lost uh, the game out of BYU earlier. I look for them to come back. They were off last week, I believe. Uh, I look for them to come back in a big way at Iowa State. I think Iowa State is uh, ripe for the picking with the amount of players that they sent into the NFL draft. Uh, Unprecedented for them. Baylor and Texas, I think, come out with road wins this week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Tech, I think, sold out their stadium for the first time since like 2018 with Texas coming to town this weekend, which is unfortunately a sign of things to come for schools in the Big 12 now that you have no bell cows ever coming to your house. There are no bell cows anymore sure. in this conference to uh, get you juice. Right. For Baylor, it's really interesting. Shapin needs to look a lot better. He didn't look very good, uh, I thought, at BYU. Nothing like he looked in uh, the first half of the Big 12 championship game, right, which helped them out a lot. They weren't off, but they played Texas State, so they might as well have been off. Huh, the last that's right. Yeah. <laughs> How can we all forget the, the mighty – are they Bobcats? I don't know. Uh, bobcats, yeah, I think so. <laughs> there you go. How can we all forget the mighty Texas State Bobcats? So that so made up. But- We've we've buried <laughs> the lead here, guys. There is a massive, massive non-conference game in this conference this week, and yep. we haven't even talked about it yet. Baylor and Duke, two basketball schools undefeated. Kansas yeah, Kansas and Duke, sorry. Kansas and Duke, two basketball schools undefeated, guys. If Kansas wins this game, they are a lock to, at worst, be rolling into Norman as at 4-2. and two. Did anyone yes. ever think that was going to be a possibility? You've got the Lance Leopold, the Nebraska train rolling, all that stuff. This is big time because if, if you get that and if, if you get some, some sort of life at all from Neil Brown and that team playing the Hokies, then what you're looking at really quickly is finally that promise of the Big 12. There may not be a single playoff team in this conference, but... All 10 of these teams at least can come up and have a pulse and pop sure. up and beat you at any point because West Virginia was in a dogfight with Pitt, right? That volleyball interception might have changed that thing. Then, obviously, an the overtime loss to Kansas. If they go to Virginia Tech. They at least are maybe the worst team in the Big 12, but at least a solid, solid low end team. The, the Big 12 that was promised a couple of years ago when all these coaching hires were made could finally be delivered if West Virginia and Kansas can go out and get some uh, big non-con wins this weekend.
1: That uh, that game day is not in Lawrence for Duke at Kansas it, with Dickie V as the guest picker uh, sitting next to Lee Corso. Dickie V and Lee Corso sitting next to each other oh, might up. actually melt uh, like, a, like a nuclear <laughs> meltdown hole in the ground. Uh, too much energy. Can you imagine like the SNL
2: style sketch of like they open game day and it's the basketball crew inside Fog Allen wondering where it's the, it's like Jay Billis, like, where is everybody? This is Northern. Yeah. And then they like pan over and oh my God, they're at the football stadium and there's a bunch of people behind Kirk Curb Street, all that stuff. What a missed um, opportunity. It was too perfect. And instead we get to go watch Tennessee and Kentucky, which a Tennessee team that you're going to see another time here probably two weeks down the road. Florida. It's Tennessee and Florida.
0: Not Florida, Florida, yeah. Yeah. Florida right? Kentucky yeah. would be better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. <laughs> Kentucky's a top 10 team, believe it or not. Mark Stoops got that thing rolling. Yet yeah, Kansas, I think I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure there's only like four or five power five teams that have never hosted college game day, and I, I'm pretty sure Kansas is in that group. So that's a, that's a stinger for them to not get it. Now, just crazy about Kansas, and we talked about this before, Duke at home, Iowa State at home, TCU at home. They're probably going to be favored in all of those or, or you know, they at least got a shot to win all those. If they're six and zero, rolling into Norman, I mean, who? Th- when you when the schedule comes out and I see Kansas the week after Texas and before the bye, yeah. I'm like that week's gonna suck. <laughs> and that that might be one of that might be one of Oklahoma's biggest home games <laughs> as it's shaping up right now.
1: Yeah, so that's who insane. Says, who says OU doesn't have good marquee home games? if I <laughs> have a six and zero Kansas team coming into town.
0: The one time Kansas was good in 07, they didn't play OU. So uh, opportunity, fifteen years in the making for that marquee OUKU football game. Um, maybe game day will come to that. If game day comes to that, we need to do the numbers. Would that be the first time the college game day has ever gone to the same matchup in basketball and football? Because they came to OU Kansas basketball before. That might be rec- That might be historic. So Jayhawks need to keep winning. OU needs to keep winning. to give us a chance at history. Uh, here in a few weeks. But yeah, interested in that one. And uh, I think Texas and uh, Baylor are both vulnerable, obviously. Um, Ames is nuts. They'll be hyped for that. I don't know if Iowa State is any good at all, but they do have home field. Baylor's looked a little shaky-ish in the one real team they played. They played two totally non-teams and then played BYU and lost. So that's where we're at with them. And Texas, I don't know. I mean, Lubbock is going to be on fire. It's kind of the same thing as Ames. Lubbock will be on fire now. One saving grace for Texas is that that game is not at night, because Lubbock at night is a whole different animal, and so they're avoiding that part of it, which that that's a win right there in and of itself uh, for Texas. So big weekend in the Big 12. Exciting, should be fun. And uh, even that TCU SMU. TCU goes in there and wins that, and they're three and 0 on the road. You know they. I don't know where they're at. I can't remember on the on the AP receiving votes, but they might be in the conversation toward the bottom of the, to- of the top 25 they can win that. So it should be interesting to to see how the conference shakes out this weekend. I'm looking at the NFL. Oh, what's up? I
2: was going to say real quick on the flip side of that, if TCU goes in and loses, then OU will have played every single opponent coming off a loss this year, which means (laughs) nothing. It's just weird.
0: (laughs) Have to like, look at the schedule and see if it keep, if it will keep marking out that way. Who does Texas play next week? That's the question. Yeah. That's the Texas plays. Okay. Texas plays at home against West Virginia. So if they're coming off a loss, And they stink. Yes. And Alabama, by transited property, also stinks. So we'll see uh, how that looks. But, yeah, uh, fun weekend in the Big 12 coming up. And uh, Oklahoma-Kansas State with the night game, the lone night game in the conference. 7 o'clock, so late, so late. (laughs) That podcast is going to be tough. All right, looking at the NFL. Big weekend for the quarterbacks. Um, Baker, another loss. I just think the Panthers stink, and there's nothing he can do about it. (laughs) I mean, it's just that... That simple for him. He tried. They've tried, but they lost to the Giants. Um, But Kyler, an insane comeback against Mm -hmm. Ryan's Raiders. Sorry. And Jalen Hurts, we're two weeks in. It's a long season. But if if they did a two weeks in MVP, Jalen Hurts might win it. He's been off to an insane start, and he balled out against the Vikings on Monday. Um, I mean, it, it... if you had told me two years ago that fast forward two years and Jalen Hurts be playing the best of the three right now, I would I would have taken a step back. But it's a uh, it's a Jalen Hurts show right now. He's
1: he's really good. He's way better than ninety five percent of us thought he was going to be in the NFL. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's having a great season. Um, and he's playing for the best team in the NFC East right now. They're probably going to win that division. I would say maybe handily. Yeah. Uh, so, so Jalen right now he's a he's a forceful leader. Uh, he he's an extremely hard worker, as we know. And guess what? You put those two things together, and all of a sudden he's becoming a good quarterback, or at least a good NFL quarterback at this point in time. Boy, Kyler, sure. Uh, I mean, are you kidding me with a twenty-second play? Twenty okay. seconds it took that two-point conversion to unfold. Is that the longest play in NFL history? Twenty seconds? That's ridiculous. Twenty point eight. Yeah, so uh, just unbelievable his um, natural ability that he has. Guys, I was thinking of this, and then we talked about it Monday on the show. uh, Sam said the same exact thing. While that was unfolding, I was like, he's doing the same thing in the NFL that he used to do in high school and used to do in fifth grade and used to do it at OU, which is, don't worry about it. I'll I'll win the game at the end. I'll do something that no one's ever seen before. And, uh, and win the game. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's 61 yard touchdown run at, at Nebraska made me get into the record books and start looking up long touchdown runs by the quarterbacks. Kyler Murray had three of them, three of them. Uh, and one of them wasn't a touchdown. He got tagged down at the two yard line or something like that against West Virginia, but he had a 67 yarder against Texas, a 75 yarder against Kansas and a 66 yarder against West Virginia, because he's what? He's Kyler Murray. Uh, and he's still doing that in the NFL. People are just so frustrated when they play against him. And who doesn't feel bad for Baker right now? The offensive line's not very good. There's not a ton of talent on that team. Uh, and he gets beat back-to-back weeks by 57- and 58-yard field goals, I think. Uh, just a bad run for Baker. And he was 14-29 for 100-and-something yards. It wasn't a good game for him. He no. didn't do anything to help his cause. Uh, but you also, at the same time, you'd like to see him win one of these games. You'd like to see somebody come step up and make some plays. You'd like to see his offensive line block a little better for him.
0: Yeah, that Kyler uh, West Virginia run, that was when he filled in for Baker, uh, cause, and they act like Baker died. drive.
1: That was when uh, Lincoln got all tearful about having to suspend him on senior day for one play. Two plays. two plays. Two plays,
0: yeah. Two plays. Kyler first play. Takes it all the way to the one, and then they punch it in. The Orlando Brown carrying out Baker's jersey, <laughs> all time most ridiculous move. The Baker the death, funniest game. most ridiculous thing.
2: Yeah how how could West Virginia have competed in a game where Baker Mayfield died and was resurrected? Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I don't know the advanced stats on this, but I think that it took Dylan Gabriel about as much time to scamper sixty one yards as it took for Kyler Murray to dance around on that 21 second play. Cause I think both of those took 21 <laughs> seconds of uh, time off the clock. Uh, sorry, Dylan. No. Uh, yeah. Kyler needs to get into Cliff's ear and be like, Hey, can you call the, let me do cool crap play again? Cause th- that was, that was the entire second half. The entire comeback over time was just, Hey, let Kyler do cool crap. And Cliff will just act like he like absolutely <laughs> called that play. So, uh, Shout out to him. Uh, unfortunately, they won't be playing an absolute dunce in one of the guys that's uh, stood next to Bill <laughs> Belichick every single week. So I don't think that's going to do anything for Cliff's job security or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts is just rocking and rolling at Philly. That's a roster that has spent money with kind of the attitude of Jalen Hurts is a Band-Aid quarterback. And if he's awful, then we'll trade for somebody. If he's awesome, then he'll have every bit of talent around him to succeed. They don't need him to be Joe Burrow. They don't need him to be Pat Mahomes. They need him to be very efficient. And that's exactly what he's done through two weeks. He's been awesome on the ground, through the air, throwing to his left, throwing over the middle of the field. Two things we never, ever saw from him at Oklahoma, it felt like, right? Uh, He just continues to every offseason. Add something a little bit better to his game, and uh, a credit to Philly and a credit to him for finding something that fits him, and for him continuing to grow and expand that uh, that play card of of calls that they feel confident
0: they can play with him at the helm. It is amazing because uh, even the biggest OU homer, I don't think, saw Jalen Hurts being this so far. I mean, and it, it's it's two games, but like I said, he's probably the MVP. I mean, he's been he. Killed the Vikings on on Monday, so that's going to be uh, fun to see how uh, how that looks. Because yeah, the Eagles, the Eagles look like in an NFC that's not that deep relative to the AFC. Uh, Eagles, why not? Shout out Chisholm Holland. Ryan, is he excited? Is he just talking with Eagles every day? Uh, it's been uh, it's been
2: basically he has tasked me with uh, hey hold him back, and the problem yeah. is that uh, I as a joke. Pick the Eagles to win the Super Bowl all offseason making him retire his Jalen Hurts jersey in the living room above the TV. (laughs) And uh, it's really hurt our friendship that uh, I'm too optimistic for his Eagles. But no, he went through the schedule yesterday and he's like, I'm not trying to be optimistic Eagles guy, but like their schedule, the NFC East is obviously bad. Dallas is banged up. You got two really bad teams in New York and Washington. And like the rest of their schedule, they avoided a lot of the really like tough draws. So not only does the Eagles have a chance to go out there, win the division, like if they play like this, they have an outside chance is insane as it sounds to be the one seed just by virtue of how bad their schedule is. So it's a, a lot of pressure on Hertz now suddenly
0: to kind of keep yeah. that going. But he's some of us never really listened to any of that crap. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Uh, what Jalen's doing for sure. And uh, yeah, that, that Kyler play for he just runs around for 20 seconds is video games. So there's a video game uh, The Cardinals offense is just literally like you're in fifth or sixth grade playing football with your friends. There's no routes or anything. It's just drop back and I'll just buy time and somebody gets open. That's all that they do. It's absolutely hilarious. And it's amazing. Like who was saying high school, elementary college, and now the NFL, he's still able to do the same thing, which is just be more athletic than everybody still he, he it doesn't matter I don't know what level he's playing at he's just he's on fast forward and he makes he makes NFL players look like they're not moving it's it's unbelievable so uh, good stuff there for uh, Kyler and Jalen for sure Baker it's gonna be a long year it's gonna be a lot of close loss, I think for uh, for Baker and the Panthers All right that's it for us Good show in the books who will let you go home <laughs> he's like dying to get out of the, the animal studios. And uh, we'll sign off here. So we'll keep up with us on Tons there for you, obviously, going out rest of this week, leading up to the start of Kansas State on Saturday night at 7. Of course, we'll be back for the post-game show. That will be in the running for the latest show we've ever recorded. I think 7 o'clock is the latest kick we've ever had. Most night games are 6 or 6.30. So 7 on Saturday will be under the lights from the start. Uh, the lights will be flashing everywhere on, on uh, Saturday night. It should be a fun one. So thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you Saturday night slash really Sunday morning for the post-game show wrapping up Oklahoma and Kansas State. And, of course, we'll be back next Wednesday putting the finishing touch on that one and getting ready for OUTCU next Saturday in Fort Worth. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all the shows on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an amazon able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post it on our website, allstinners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. Of course, watch the video version on who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for now. For John Hoover and Ryan Chapman, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.